You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. I hope you have your Bibles with you this morning. Uh, And if you do, I would just go ahead and invite you uh, to turn over to the book of Luke. I know we've been in Matthew studying the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Now that we have reached the end of that, uh, we're hopping over to another gospel. Uh, We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1 this morning, uh, verses uh, 5 through 25, um, as we are starting a new sermon series called uh, Preparing the Way. So go ahead and turn there, and as you do, let me pray for our time. Father, I just pray that you would be with us this morning as we come to study your word. Pray that you would especially be with us as we start to enter into what is traditionally such a busy time of the year, where it's so easy to get caught up in all of the holidays, uh, where we just end up losing sight of you. So I pray for just focus this morning, Father, uh, that we would just be able to set aside any of the distractions we might have come in here with. And that we would just be able to commune with you during this time. uh, And that you would just reveal to us your wisdom and and your truths uh, from your word today. Just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So I have the firm belief uh, that every holiday should get its own season. Uh, And one holiday shouldn't try to take over other holidays. Uh, So when it's October, I expect to see uh, Halloween costumes at Walmart uh, and candy for trick-or-treaters, but I don't want to see them displaying all of those butterball turkeys just yet. Uh, And I especially don't want to see any Christmas trees going up just yet in October, uh, though my wife would probably disagree. Um, You can call me a Christmas Nazi if you want, Uh, but I am a firm believer also uh, that Christmas music should not go, not be allowed to to be played on the radio until at least after the the Thanksgiving. Just just give give every holiday its own season. Uh, I can already feel certain people tuning out. Uh, Maybe other people are silently giving me an amen. I don't know. Um, But as soon as the the Christmas music starts playing, uh, I feel like that's when everybody starts stressing out about the the, the busyness of this holiday season. And you've got to buy all of the the Christmas presents and everything. And uh, I'm just not ready uh, to stress out about all of that. Uh, until I at least get to sit down and watch the Macy's Day Parade, and I at least get a slice of pecan pie. Okay, Now, I say all of that to, to then say we are starting our Advent sermon series two weeks early, uh, even before we get to Thanksgiving. Uh, traditionally, Advent is a season in the church calendar the last four weeks, Um, If you're not familiar with the word Advent, um, it's just the Latin word that means arrival. 
Uh, And so the four weeks leading up to Christmas is a season where we anticipate Jesus's arrival on earth 2,000 years ago uh, when he was born as a baby in the manger. And I really appreciate that for any of the major holidays that we have on the Christian calendar, uh, we rarely just set aside a single day to celebrate anything. Rather, there's usually an entire season of preparation uh, leading up to that celebration. So before we have Easter, uh, we have uh, this, this time that we call Lent. You know, at Easter, we celebrate the, the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. But before that, you have 40 days of Lent, uh, just as Jesus prepared for his public ministry by going out into the wilderness and praying and fasting for 40 days. Uh, During that season leading up to Easter, we encourage one another to set aside 40 days for uh, fasting and prayer as we prepare to celebrate, uh, or as we prepare our hearts to celebrate uh, Jesus' resurrection uh, from the grave. And so before we arrive to Christmas, uh, we need a similar season of preparation. Uh, Because we all know how easy it is to to get caught up in the busyness of the holiday season. Uh, You get so worried about getting all of your Christmas decorations up and scheduling all of those meals with your family and uh, buying all those Christmas presents without breaking the bank. So it's so easy to get focused on all of those things that December 26 rolls around and you realize that you just celebrated a holiday devoted to the birth of Jesus, all without giving Jesus a second thought. So that's why we're going to start just a little early this year, looking at these first two chapters in the Gospel of Luke, uh, to see all of the the different ways that the people in Jesus' day prepared for his arrival, starting today with a man named Zechariah. So even though we're still not officially going to uh, start Advent until December 3rd, uh, when we'll you know, have all of the Christmas decorations set up, and we'll begin lighting all of the candles, and we'll have some extra scripture readings in our worship service. Uh, so even though we're not officially starting Advent just yet, and even though you still shouldn't listen to Christmas music until after Thanksgiving, Uh, It's never too early to prepare our hearts to think about the significance of Jesus' arrival on earth and what he came to this earth to do. All right, so that being said, uh, let me go ahead and read the first text in this new series, uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, um, and then I want to walk us through this story Uh, And as I do, I want us to see a couple of principles that we can learn about preparing our own hearts uh, to think about Jesus's arrival. So Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, I hear from the word of the Lord. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, uh, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. 
Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call him John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at this delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Uh, So this is the word of the Lord. So we don't often think about this, uh, but when you flip the page from the Old Testament over to the the New Testament, we we sometimes forget just what a, uh, a big time jump that we are making all right, just that single page turn amounts to fast forwarding about 400 years in time. All right, Malachi, who was the last prophet that prophesied in the Old Testament, uh, he uh, preached around 430 BC. All right, but Jesus didn't come on the scene until the start of the first century AD. All right, so just imagine living during that page flip, during that 400-year period of silence. I mean, for century, God used to speak to his people through the prophets, uh, men like Moses, kings like David, and then nothing for four centuries. I imagine that by the time you get near uh, to Jesus' arrival, there, there's a, a sense of despair that's probably setting in among the people. I imagine the conversation is probably beginning to change from when is God going to speak to us again to if he is going to speak again. But here is where you see the beauty of the Christmas story. 
And it's one of the reasons that we so often go back to this story and remind ourselves of it again and again. Because the story of Christmas reminds us that we serve a God who will not remain silent. I know some of you may not even know uh, this story of Zechariah, the man we're studying today. Uh, Oftentimes when we start talking about Christmas, we immediately uh, run to Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the shepherds. But it's to Zechariah who God initially breaks the silence. After 400 years, it's him that gets to be the first to hear from a messenger speaking on behalf of the Lord. Now, that might seem at first to be kind of a strange way to start the Christmas story, you know, which is supposed to be about the birth of Jesus. It's kind of strange at first to to think about the, the, the fact that this story about the birth of Jesus doesn't actually begin with Jesus. It doesn't even begin with Jesus's parents. Uh, Rather, it starts with this old priest and a barren wife. But if you understand Jesus's identity to be the king of kings and the God of all of creation, well, then starting the Christmas story this way actually makes a lot of sense. Because before you have the arrival of a king, you must first have the arrival of that king's herald to announce the the king's arrival and to prepare the people for his coming. And if you know anything about the New Testament, then you know that John the Baptist was born to be that very herald. He was the one that was going to go out into the wilderness and trumpet to everyone who could hear that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. So so with this appearance of an angel speaking to Zechariah, we're not only introduced to the herald of King Jesus, but but even this herald gets a herald. The, The angel Gabriel is heralding the arrival of the one whose job it will be to announce the arrival of the coming Messiah. So Luke What he's doing here is he's making it exceedingly clear that you're not about to hear the story of just an ordinary individual. This isn't even going to be the story of an ordinary king. Clearly, something extraordinary is at work here. And Luke is telling us that we need to pay attention and we need to be prepared for what's about to happen. That this God who has been silent for 400 years is getting ready to break that silence in a big way. So in the opening verses of our text, we read about this priest named Zechariah and his wife named Elizabeth. And one of the first things that we learn about them is that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all of the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, that really is quite impressive. I mean, you have to give them credit for that, that even after four centuries of silence, even while others are starting to believe that God has given up on them, Zechariah and Elizabeth have not given up on God. And their faith is even more impressive when you consider verse 7, where we're told that they had no child 
because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in age. I talked about this earlier in the year when we were studying uh, the book of Ruth. Uh, but being without children in the ancient world was difficult. I mean, your kids were your social security program. Right? They were the ones who took care of you when you got old. Uh, they were the safety net that provided for you when you couldn't provide for yourself. And so life was difficult for those without children. And many even believed that it was actually a sign that you had been shunned or cursed by God. I mean, you must have done something particularly awful or wicked for him to cause you to be barren. So Zechariah and Elizabeth's faith here is, again, just astounding. Despite being barren, their faith in the Lord has actually blossomed. It's bloomed. And what Luke, again, is trying to do in giving us all of these details about this elderly and childless couple is he's connecting this story to the greater overarching story of the Bible as a whole. Uh, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, this story today should actually remind you of a similar couple that faced a nearly identical problem. The story of Zechariah should remind you of the story of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah were also elderly and barren, yet God supernaturally blessed that couple, saying that the descendants of their soon-to-be son would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, many Many, many generations later, God now takes another couple that's similar to Abraham and Sarah, and he supernaturally blesses them with the birth of John to remind his people that God has not forgotten that original promise. Far from it. Right, Abraham was given a son named Isaac, and then he was told to sacrifice that son out of obedience to God. And because of his willingness to do that, even though God didn't force him to go through with it, right, the Lord told him that because of his faithfulness, his descendants would bring blessings upon the nations. What will now, in Zechariah's own day, many generations later, we have another descendant of Abraham and a relative of Zechariah's own wife, who is about to be born, and another sacrifice will soon be made. But this time, it's going to be God the Father who's going to offer his own son, Jesus, as this sacrifice. And through this sacrifice, all of the nations truly will be blessed. Everyone will have the opportunity, finally, to receive the gift of eternal life if they would just Accept it. So here's the first principle that I want us to learn from this story. And I've already said it a couple of times, uh, and I even put it as the title of the sermon so you have no excuse to miss it. It's that God will not remain silent. But we serve a God who has spoken and who continues to speak to his creation even today. I know some of you may, you know, count up the years and realize that 
It has been more than 2,000 years since these events that we are studying occurred. In Zechariah's day, God sent, you know, Jesus to speak to his people. But then after that, we've just been left to sit in silence for two millennia. You know, there have been no more prophets, no more heralds like John the Baptist. And this period of silence is lasting far, far longer than that 400-year waiting period between the Old and the New Testaments. But let me suggest to you that there actually hasn't been 2,000 years of silence. Because God left us with access to his very own word, right? He gave us everything that he wants to communicate to us right here in our own Bibles. And even more, God has also given us his spirit to dwell inside of us to help us understand his word, all right, just think about Zechariah. Uh, we're going to talk more in just a second about his adventures inside this temple. Uh, but even when a priest like him would go into the temple, uh, they weren't permitted to go into the Holy of Holies where the Spirit of God dwelled. All right, that was a privilege that was reserved only for the high priest. And Zechariah was not the high priest. So the best that he got to hope for was just to be in close proximity to God's spirit, separated by a thick veil. But for followers of Christ today, that veil has been lifted. All right, if you submitted your life to Jesus, then nothing now separates you from God. You have direct access to him and he wants to speak directly to you. So if you feel like God is somehow absent from your life and that he has been silent, the problem can't be that God no longer speaks. The problem has to be that we are not listening to what he is trying to say. Now, you're not likely to have an angel appear before you uh, like Zechariah, but if you just open up your Bible, you will hear the voice of God just as clearly today as Zechariah heard from Gabriel. I promise you. So God will not remain silent. That's the first principle we see. All right, God has and he will continue to speak to his people. We have not been abandoned. Let's continue the story to see a second principle as well. Verse 8 uh, we're told that Zechariah, he was serving uh, as a priest, and he's the one that gets chosen to go inside the temple to offer incense before the Lord. Now, that's a big deal. All right, only priests were permitted to go inside uh, this part of the temple. Not just anyone could go in there. Um, and even though there were thousands of Levitical priests, not even all of them got to go inside either, only a select few. Uh, one priest would enter into the temple in the morning to offer incense, and then a second priest would go in in the evening to offer incense. And according to Jewish tradition, it would never be the same priest twice. All right, so this was a literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. 
And a crowd of people would often gather out in the courtyard to pray as the priest went inside, and they would all wait in anticipation. Uh, They would stand there and they would watch for the smoke of the incense to come wafting uh, out of that veil that separated the holy place from the courtyard. And that would let them know that the priest was okay uh, and that everything was going according to plan. But this time around, things don't go according to plan. Zechariah is inside the temple much longer than he anticipated because while he's in there, we're told there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And like most people's reactions in the Bible to seeing an angel, Zechariah is understandably terrified at the sight of this and he falls down flat on his face in absolute fear. But but this angel, who we find out is Gabriel, uh, he isn't there to strike Zechariah down. Rather, he's there to tell him that his prayers have been heard. They have been answered. Gabriel says in verse 13, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Then in verse 16, Gabriel continues by saying that Zechariah's son will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. This elderly priest with a barren wife is told that he is going to have a son who will come as a new Elijah. Right? Elijah was one of the greatest prophets that Israel had ever known. I mean, he was an absolute force to be reckoned with. I mean, you think about Elijah and some of the stories. Right? He single-handedly stood up to King Ahab and all of the prophets of Baal. If you remember that story all the way back in 1 Kings chapter 18, um, Elijah challenges those who who have ceased to follow Yahweh. Many people back in Elijah's own day thought that God had fallen silent in their own time, and so they ceased to follow him, and they started to worship Baal instead. So Elijah comes onto the scene, and he sets up two altars, and he invites Baal's prophets to call down fire from the sky to consume their sacrifice. And in verse 26 of First of, uh, Kings 18, they say, O Baal, answer us. But guess what? There was no voice. No one answered. And so after a while, Elijah, you know, he starts mocking these prophets. And he says, cry out loud for he is God. Uh, either he is musing or maybe he is relieving himself. Or, or maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep. So when Baal either refused or couldn't respond, uh, eventually it's Elijah's turn to cry out to his God. And he decides to actually make things harder on himself. If you know the story, he takes all of these jars of water, he has them poured all over the offering, poured all over the, the wood, Um, And then he has those jars refilled. 
uh, and he has them poured out on the altar again. And then a third time, he has them poured on the altar. So the whole area is just flooded. Then starting in verse 36, we're told that after Elijah did all of this, he prayed to the Lord saying, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all of these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you uh, have turned their hearts back. And then we're told that the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. So just in case you forgot about Elijah, that is the kind of prophet who Gabriel says that John the Baptist will take after. Both Elijah and John the Baptist were some pretty wild and rugged men who spent significant amount of their times living out in the wilderness, wearing matching wardrobes of animal hair. But both men would courageously take a stand for their faith no matter what kind of opposition they faced. And both would remind their people in a very dark season of history that God had not forgotten them. And so hearing all of this, you would think that Zechariah would be as proud as he possibly could be, learning that not only is he going to be a dad, but also about hearing who his son is going to take after and all of the kinds of accomplishments that his son is going to achieve. But that's not the case. Verse 18 says, uh, Zechariah responds to Gabriel by saying, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and, and my wife is advanced in years. So immediately, Zechariah begins questioning if this prophecy could possibly come true. Even though at the very moment he's questioning it, all right, he's actually speaking face to face with a real life angel straight from God. Right? He's staring this angel straight in the face and he's questioning if this prophecy could possibly come true. And because of this mistrust, this angel then tells Zechariah, starting in verse 19, he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you to bring good news. And so behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So because of this priest's lack of trust, our story ends on kind of a strange, um, almost comical note. Uh, the crowd, they've been standing outside the temple praying. Uh, they start to get worried. They're wondering what could possibly have delayed Zechariah. They're wondering if he's okay. And then when he does walk outside, suddenly he turns into a mime. The priests are supposed to go back outside and speak a blessing on all of the people that have gathered. Uh, but Zechariah can't speak at all. 
So he has to do this little pantomime and has to do all of these motions and make all of these signs to let people know that he's just seen a vision. And then when all is said and done and he's finally able to go home, we're told that his wife, Elizabeth, she does conceive just as was predicted. And we'll read about that more later. Uh, But for the rest of this pregnancy, Zechariah is to remain mute. He won't be able to utter another word uh, until John the Baptist is born. And this is really where you see the second principle in our story. And we already saw that God will not remain silent, but we also see that God will, however, silence those who don't trust him. He will not remain silent himself, but he will silence those who fail to put their trust in him. Not always quite so literally as we see in the story, but they will be silenced nonetheless. So what I want to do now as we we think about that, um, I just want to leave you with a couple of takeaways uh, from that second principle. I want you to see how Zechariah's forced vow of silence can serve as a warning to us so that we don't make the same mistake. And the first application I have actually comes from a, as a quote uh, from a pastor named R.C. Sproul. Um, who, he said, um, it is not enough to believe in God. You must also believe God. It's not enough just to believe in God. You must also believe God. Right? There are a lot of people out there that would say they believe in God. They're spiritual. They might even call themselves Christians, yet they still don't believe God when he tries to speak to them through his word. And if you're not actually going to believe God when he tries to speak to you, Well, then what's the point in believing in God in the first place? If you want to do nothing with him, and if you're not going to trust him, and you're not going to believe him, you you might as well just be an atheist because you're already living your life as a functional atheist. Um, As a, a priest, Zachariah should have known the scriptures well. Uh, But he obviously didn't trust in them as he ought to have, uh, because if he did, he wouldn't have questioned Gabriel like he did. Because even without this angel telling him about the upcoming birth of John the Baptist, he he still could have read about it himself in the Old Testament from Malachi. All right, the, the last prophet who spoke before God went silent all of those years. All right, even as the Lord prepared to go quiet, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, clues us into the fact that he didn't plan to remain quiet forever. Because Malachi writes, he says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. That's a prophecy about none other than Zechariah's own son. And even though this priest believed in God, and no doubt he had read that prophecy numerous times, he still couldn't bring himself to believe God and trust that this prophecy was about to be fulfilled. And so God silenced him, literally, for this distrust. 
So that's the first application to think about. But I want to leave you with one more as well. And it's that it's okay to question God, but don't let those questions trump your trust in God. And it's okay to question God, but don't ever let those questions trump your trust in God. And you just take a look um, and, and compare Zachariah's response to Gabriel uh, to how Mary will soon respond when she has her own conversation with this same angel. The, the same angel who just spoke to Zechariah will soon speak to Mary as well and tell her that she too is going to have a miraculous birth. And we'll talk about Mary's story more next week, but like Zechariah, she also had some questions. I mean, the biology of how a virgin is going to give birth to a child doesn't exactly make sense to her. But unlike Zechariah, Mary won't let those questions prevent her from trusting in the Lord. So even though she doesn't understand how she could possibly conceive, she still goes on to say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. But that's not how Zechariah ended this conversation. All right, he didn't skeptically ask a bunch of questions, but then still say that he trusts in the Lord, like Mary. All right, he just asks the questions, which is why Gabriel responded to him much more harshly than he will to Mary. Zechariah isn't allowed to speak for nine months, while Mary will actually burst into song after her conversation with Gabriel as she seeks to praise the Lord. So, so it's okay for us to question God. All right? It's okay not to understand the plans that he has for your life sometimes. Um, it's okay to, to be confused about the direction of your life he, he seems to be taking you. Um, it's okay to even voice uh, those questions directly to him in your prayers. Just don't let those questions ever trump your trust in the Lord. Even in the midst of all of the uncertainties, we must still trust that God is good and that he is sovereignly in control. And we must trust that in his sovereign goodness, he is not just flying by the seat of his pants. All right. He's not just making up things as he goes along. Nothing in your life is ever going to come as a surprise to him. And even that which comes as a surprise to you is still a part of the greater plans that he has for the universe and for your ultimate good and for his glory. So at the end of all of this, as we come to the end of the story, I don't know um, where your heart is uh, when it comes to the approaching Christmas season. Maybe. Uh, you have already been playing Christmas music in your car for weeks, uh, and you are just waiting and, and excited uh, for everybody else to be as excited about Christmas as you already are. Uh, or, or maybe for some of you, you, you don't even like me saying that word just yet. But, you know, you're, 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 maybe some of you, you're not quite ready uh, for all of that shopping uh, chaos or all the extra travel that comes with the holiday season. 
but, but no matter where you are, I pray that passages like this will still begin to prepare our hearts so that we don't miss out on Jesus this Christmas season. My plea to you is not to get to December 26 without having uh, thought about the reason for Christmas, without giving Jesus a second thought. All right, we celebrate this season because of the beautiful reality that God did not and does not remain silent. All right, he came to the earth in form of a baby so that he might walk with his people again, so that he might live with us again, so that he might speak to us again. You serve a God who is not silent. And so as Christians, we should not be silent about God either. Let me pray. Father, just again, thank you so much for stories like Zechariah. Father, I'm just so thankful that you didn't start the Christmas story with Jesus. Rather, you gave your people heralds to help prepare everyone for Jesus' arrival. And I pray that just over the coming weeks that you would just continue to help prepare us as well and that we uh, would just celebrate and remember the significance of your arrival on earth and what it means for our spiritual lives. Just ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.